You could have ours. Those four simple words changed my life. I was on the phone with my college sweetheart, nice guy named Josh, but this was 20 years after graduation, long after we broke up. And Josh was about to marry a handsome doctor named Richard. But that day on the phone, Josh was thinking past the love, past the marriage, to the part with the baby carriage. And I had just told him about my decision, wrenching, long in the making, life-altering, the decision not to have my own children. I was in my 30s and married to a wonderful man, so everyone, myself included, expected me to have children. But I had struggled with that decision until someone said something that made the light bulb go on. A dear friend asked if there was any way I could make a decision without regrets. Good question. If I had kids, I'd regret the freedom and flexibility that a child-free life offers. If I did not have kids, I'd regret never knowing the boundless love between a parent and a child. So I just needed to decide what life I wanted to be living while I regretted not living the other life. (laughs) I chose a life without my own kids, vowing to help raise nephews and nieces, but free to commit more of my time and energy in other ways. As I was explaining all this to Josh that day on the phone, he asked, what regrets would haunt my child-free life? For starters, I said, never knowing what it's like to be pregnant and to give birth to another human being. That's easy, he said. You could have ours. I told him I'd have to mull that over. (laughs) And I did. For about six months, I hemmed and hawed over what to do. Now, this was around the time that the U.S. Congress was hemming and hawing over the passage of the Defense of Marriage Act, which, for a thankfully brief time, allowed states to refuse to recognize same-sex marriages granted under the laws of other states. With that weighing on my mind, struggling with my very own personal decision, I made a list. You know the type, pros and cons. Pros, experiencing pregnancy, giving life, creating special bonds, standing up for gay families. Cons, fear of health risks, fear of losing my, at the time, still girlish figure, fear of disappointing my own family, fear of attachment to the baby, fear of complications of all kinds. There it was in black and white. Hope and love versus fear and more fear. Is fear the opposite of hope? Is it just an attitude, like whether you look at life as half empty or or half full? 
my little prop here. This is my first gift from Sandy, my half full, half glass mug, half, half full, half empty mug. Or is fear the opposite of confidence, as in glossophobia? Not glassophobia, glossophobia, which means, anyone? Fear of public speaking. From the Greek glossa, meaning tongue, and phobia, fear or dread. So maybe instead of defining fear by what it is not, as in the opposite of hope, love, faith, trust, confidence, let's consider fear for what it is. Lao Tzu, the founder of Taoism, said this about fear. There is no illusion greater than fear. A tragedy that never came to pass. A dreaded scenario that was really just a figment of your fertile imagination. Something that ended up never happening. An illusion. Is fear ever real? Are your greatest fears just random thoughts in your head that you could choose to ignore? Remember, you don't have to believe everything you think. What thought are you most afraid of? What truly scares you? Are you thinking about your own death? or that of a loved one? Because if that's the case, I must concede with all due respect to Lao Tzu that your fear is actually very, very real. We all die. That's our reality, one way or another, someday. But death is hardly the only very real thing we humans tend to fear. In preparation for this morning, I consulted with our most trusted modern oracle, the mother of all knowledge. And here I'm speaking, of course, of the great and mighty Google itself, who revealed to me a list of no fewer than 530 very real phobias, each one having earned at least one mention in a refereed medical journal. And they were helpfully listed from A to Z. From a Bluto phobia, of course, the fear of washing or bathing, to zoophobia, take a wild guess, fear of animals. So there's no shortage of things to be afraid of, real or imagined. But what are the biggies? How can we sift through that long list and figure out what it makes sense for us, in particular, to be afraid of? I'm afraid I can't answer that for you. Uh, I'm still trying to figure that out for myself. But I can tell you what most people are most afraid of. Because elsewhere, on the great and mighty Google, I found the top six most debilitating phobias in the world today. You want to guess what they are? Because this next part is responsive. Okay, you ready? I'm going to give you the technical term, mostly derived from the Greek, and you're going to guess what it means. 
Okay, here we go. Nyctophobia, from the Greek nycto for night or darkness. Acrophobia, from the Greek akron, meaning peak, summit, or edge. Agoraphobia, fear of crowds or unfamiliar places, from the Greek for gathering place. Claustrophobia, fear of no escape, from claustrum, meaning shut-in place, a shut-in place. Herpetotopia, coming in at number five. Fear of reptiles, especially snakes, from the Greek, Greek for creeping animal. And arachnophobia, spiders, from the Greek for spider. Okay, so anyone else surprised that fear of death didn't make the top six? Isn't death the thing to be feared most above all else? Ironically, although we may fear death, Fear itself can help us avoid death. We all share that primal instinct that keeps us from jumping off a cliff once we're old enough to know it could lead to death. Fear keeps us safe. Fear keeps us alive. But make no mistake, fear can be deadly. Fear can kill. Not only in isolated moments of personal self-defense, but in large numbers by organized armies whose nations fear a different power structure or a foreign ruler or a new religion. Fear comes in so many forms, from fantasy to fact, from life-changing to mundane. But it generally exists only in the past or in the future. Rarely, Does it exist in the present? We're more often frightened by things that might happen tomorrow or fearful that past injuries, old hurts, will recur. I once knew someone with a button phobia. Can you imagine anything tamer and less threatening than a simple button that helps keep you attached to your clothes? What a safe and useful thing except when it comes attached to certain memories. Memories of clothes being removed without permission. Memories of violation or assault. There are so many things to be afraid of. How do we decide what's truly worth fearing? Franklin D. Roosevelt, fifth cousin to Teddy, had very clear advice about what to fear. And if you remember nothing else from today's sermon, I urge you to remember to ask Sandy Shahada for her Eleanor Roosevelt story, which actually involves an all-ages read-together volunteer named Molly Somerville, who is a remarkable woman in her own right. But back to the famous words of FDR. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself, he goes on to say. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. Roosevelt delivered these famous words in his inaugural address in 1933, 
at the height of the Great Depression. Now, FDR's call to action came about 34 years before the Consumer Confidence Index was invented, but he was on to something. What FDR was saying in that famous speech was simple and profound. How we think or feel, fearful or confident, bear or bull, has a real and significant impact on our economy and on our national well-being. Being brave enough to overcome our fears can change the future. Maybe Lao Tzu and FDR were right. Fear by itself is illusory. Maybe only when it's attached to something does fear gain meaning, purpose, and potential consequence. What are your fears attached to? There is everything from buttons to death to about 528 other phobias out there to choose from. Maybe you have a fear of attachment itself. Do you have a fear of belonging? A fear of being attached to a group or a family, a nation, a religion, a gender that isn't who you really are? Many of us are here because we used to belong to a different religion. But we left that religion because it no longer represented us, or it no longer represented who we wanted to become. Perhaps you have a fear of not belonging, a fear of being excluded or overlooked. So the thing that scares you more than belonging is being left out. Many of us are here in covenant together because we want to be part of something larger than ourselves. We want to belong to an intentional and beloved community whose values include love and equity, justice, compassion, peace, and maybe most of all, hope. So whether you have a fear of holding on tight or a fear of letting go, what is the safe thing to do? Doesn't it depend on what you're hanging on to or what you're letting go of? And just in case I left you wondering about whether I agreed to be a surrogate for Josh and Richard's baby, well, in the end, I chose life, as our hymn says. And as it turned out, many of my fears came true. Complications? I developed gestational diabetes, which increases my chance of developing diabetes later in life. So I watch my diet. Girlish figure? The mothers in here will relate. I think my sister-in-law said it best. You know, your body will never be the same again. So I watch my diet. Disappointing my family. The truth is, my father was desperate for grandchildren back in 2006. He was an ancestry and genealogy nut with five biological children all over the age of 30 and no grandchildren. And I went and had someone else's. 
Luckily, my younger sister saved the day with two kids right afterwards who are the apple of his eye. But my biggest fear of all, the one that got the most questions, was the fear that I would grow too attached to the baby that was growing inside of me, too attached to let it go. The fear of too much love. Can there be such a thing? Now, don't get me wrong, it was hard, and I cried plenty. When don't I? But (laughs) Happily, I gave up Reba Sadie Gamson Knight, the the baby that was never really mine to begin with. And guess what? I'm more attached to her today than I ever was, and to her little sister, too. They are a very important part of our family, which simply got bigger. Our whole world, as Sandy likes to say, got bigger. But it wasn't because I wasn't afraid. It was really only just because I chose not to base that one particular decision on fear. Now, sadly, there are many many other decisions I have made and other things that I have done and will continue to do because I'm afraid. And there are certainly, certainly some things that I have not done yet because I am afraid. Is today a good day to look at things from a new perspective? Or is today a good day to stick with what we know? We make those decisions every day, mindfully or not, whether we make a pro and con list or not. So maybe today is a good day to be ourselves. Or maybe today is a good day to be wild gorillas. You decide. May it be so.